Uh, Matt's going to come up now and continue in our series. Yeah, in First John. I can't remember the title of the series, but First John, I know that. If it makes you feel any better, I don't remember the name of the series either, but it's First John. So First John. So if you want to find First John, it's learning to love, right? Sure is. Thank you, Carol and the production team. First uh, John chapter 2 today, we're going to finish uh, chapter 2. So if you have your Bible or your phone or tablet or whatever, you can find that. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 29. Uh, last week, we got into chapter 2 where uh, John gave the congregation that he was writing to some, some tests of the faith. But like we said last week, that wasn't like a grade test, but more like a DNA test and and um, the results back and, and kind of what it means to live into that life. And, um, and so as we get into today, I just want to remind us, uh, a, a pastor, theologian, um, John Stott, uh, he, he, he said this. He said, to be a Christian, then in the language of John, so looking at the letters of John and the gospel that John wrote, in the language of John, it's to have been born of God, to know God, to live in Him, and to enjoy that intimate, personal communion with him, which is eternal life. And so, so the letter of 1 John will talk about eternal life in a present tense, where life with Jesus now, as we, however you want to say, as we dwell with him, as we live with him, as we walk with him, as we commune with him, as we abide in him, however you've heard it put, maybe in the, in the church tradition you grew up in or in the scriptures that you read, um, that's, that's what it is. It's that personal communion, that intimate relationship with him. And so uh, today we're going we're gonna to look at John giving uh, the church that he's writing to some encouragement about where they stand with Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to see kind of some warnings up front and then kind of going into encouragement in the passage. Um, and and uh, it's kind of important to, to just kind of note that there uh, had been uh, some, some false teaching that had pop- popped up, some deceptive things that John's writing, he kind of he zeroes in on those things a bit. Um, and namely, kind of the, the main idea is that there were people that were denying that Jesus is or was who he said he was. And, and so, uh, so John's going to kind of focus in on that. Um, and, then, and, and they were also claiming, the, the kind of false teachers, that they had received this kind of special anointing from God. And so they were kind of saying that, that their message was more true than the one that they had heard originally. And so, so John kind of combats that and then gets into the warning. So I'm going to read the whole passage for us. And um, there's, it's going to be a lot of words. So after I read it, we'll take an exhale, we'll pray, and then we'll get into the sermon today. So John, 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come already. You're like, this is going to get weird. It's not, I promise. When you start hearing words like Antichrist and last hour, people tend to like freak out a little bit. But don't worry, we're not, we'll talk about it. Therefore, know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father 
and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Two more verses. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's pray and then we'll get into the message today. Jesus, thank you for your promise on earth where two or more are gathered in your name that you are, you are there with them. So Father, here we are, however many of us are in this room, we are here gathered under your name. Thank you for being with us. Give us ears to hear the message you have for us today. Give us minds to think on you and dwell on you. Give us eyes to see what you would have us see and give us hearts that fall deeper in love with you so we can leave here today more like you than when we came in this morning. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's just take a second. We'll kind of look at that warning that he gives in those first few verses, and then we'll get to the encouragement. So the warning, like he said, is that anyone who denies or actively works against the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, and the Son of God is the Antichrist. Okay, so like I said, I know those words like Antichrist and last hour can, can trigger a lot of theological implications for us, especially if you grew up being forced to read the Left Behind series or watch the movies. A lot of us got more of our theology from that than from the Bible. But what John is doing here is less warning us about the end of the world as we know it and more about encouraging th- this church and where they stand with Jesus now, which has implications with forever. So the last hour, like if you read that and you thought about it, like when he said, like, therefore we know that this is the last hour. But this was written 2,000 years ago. Was John right or was he wrong? Right? And you can get as nerdy as you want, talking about hours and doing surveys through the scriptures and stuff like that. But but the, the truth is it was more of a theological statement than it was a chronological statement. It's like when Jesus, uh, in Matthew 24, he talks about the destruction of the temple and the end of time as they know it, and he ends the teaching by saying that, hey, no one knows when this is gonna happen, and a lot of people are gonna pretend like they know when this is gonna happen, but basically he says, don't, like my paraphrase is, hey, don't worry and try to figure out when it'll happen, but work on preparing yourself for when it does happen, right? Our job is faithfulness, not being right about theological arguments, okay? So, so what John's trying to do here when he's writing, he's not trying to make anybody anxious and fearful about the end of the world. That's why he said, I'm writing these things to you so that when he appears, we don't shrink back, but we can actually step into it. That's what he's trying to do, but he's trying to help us focus on the essential of our faith is that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one who God sent to save the world and to make all wrong things right. And, it's, and, and so when he says that someone who denies Jesus is not of Jesus, that should, it's like, 
if you don't get caught up in all the weirdness of those terms that he throws out, it's kind of that's like a basic statement. And it's not a judgment statement. It's not a value statement of if someone denies that Jesus is not Jesus, then we should hate them. Right? He's just, he's just giving basic facts so that those who are in Jesus, so that those of us who believe in Jesus can step into that life with Jesus better. And so, so for those of us, like we talked about last week a bit, if we find ourselves uh, wondering where we stand with God, hopefully this will give us confidence. Because basically what John's saying is, the warning is, okay, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not in Jesus. And be careful, because if someone tries to tell you that Jesus is not who Jesus is, don't fall into that. But if you believe in Jesus, then that's, that's it. That's it. And so I hope today that, that like, like we talked about last week and like I kind of started this morning, that this letter was not written to judge others or have us look towards the end of the world as we know it or anything, but, but John wrote it to encourage us as believers in Jesus to look inside and to give fresh certainty about Jesus and eternal life. Because here's what he said, he goes on, he, you know, he's writing in, in verses 18 and 19 and about you know, those who are denying Jesus. And then I love verse 20, he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. And so here's the encouragement. Here's the, no matter how you feel about where you stand with God, and no matter how you th- feel like God thinks about you, there's kind of this like one basic truth that comes with our faith in Jesus, and it's that we've been anointed by the Holy One. And he's kind of doing a play on words uh, here, because when John's writing and he's saying Jesus Christ, right? We know that, that Christ is not Jesus' middle name, right? It's, it's a title. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew where we get our word Messiah. Okay, so what it means is the anointed one. So, so when John's talking, he's talking about like an anti-Christ. He's basically saying like there, there are those who are anti-anointed, but we have been anointed. In the Old Testament, you would be anointed uh, symbolically by pouring oil on your head whenever someone was chosen as king or whenever the priests and prophets would, uh, would purify themselves so they could go into the temple and do the work of God on behalf of the people or the work of the people on behalf of God. Um, they would be anointed with oil, and then they would be chosen to go do God's work. And so what he's saying here is that you have been anointed by the Holy One. He's giving the ultimate encouragement is that you have been given God's presence. Because that symbol of anointing with oil showed what happened whenever the Holy Spirit entered into a person or into a place. In the Old Testament, God came to us by appearing to the patriarchs, and then his spirit fell on the tabernacle and dwelt in the temple. His prophets received his word and then delivered it to his people. The word became flesh and God dwelt among us in Jesus. And then after his death and his resurrection, he sent his own spirit to live in us who believe in him. And so that's what we get. When he encourages it, but you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus His Spirit living in us, empowering us, changing us, healing us, teaching us. I love the way Mother Teresa said it. She said it like this. She said, every human being has a longing for God in one way or another, however they search for that. Every human being has a longing for God. Christians go one step further. 
not only do we long for God, but we have the treasure of his presence always within us. So just with that alone, just to kind of step out of the teaching for a second, to step out of the few minutes of me already rambling and a few heads starting to nod already, what would change in my life as John's getting us to kind of do some inner work for reflection, what would change in my life if I believed that God's own spirit was living inside of me? The way that I love others, the way that I pray, the faith that I have when I pray for healing or for restoration in a relationship. See, that. This was one of those messages that was a little bit difficult for me because I'm young and I'm still figuring a lot of stuff out. And this is the kind of message that isn't fully internalized because there's a lot of areas in my life where I don't live as if God's presence lives inside me in the Holy Spirit. But today, I, what I'm hoping to do is see how this message has been working in my life and, and to look at what the scriptures say to encourage us and, and kind of that anointing when we receive God's Holy Spirit what he does to help us live in that eternal life like John talks about while we're still here on earth. At the end of verse 20, it says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2 that the Holy Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. He said, he said, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, or even that word could be translated, the spirit who is of God, that we might freely understand the things given freely to us by God. And so what, like, what better encouragement and assurance from God can he give us than himself? Like, have you ever felt like Moses where maybe you're, you're, you're like, you feel like God's asking you to do something and you're stepping into something new or you're kind of taking a leap of faith and Moses is like, hey God, if you're not coming with me, I'm not going. Like, you, it's got to be your presence with me or else none of this is going to be worth it. Like, it's, it's just going to be bad news unless you come with me. See, when, when God came, he gave us his Holy Spirit to live in us. And, and Paul goes on to say that we are now the temple of God. We are the body of Christ. Like, that can feel kind of like theoretical and philosophical and theological. But in practicality, if we all have the Spirit of God living in us, then we are actually his body, right? Like, like that's kind of wild to think about that. But, but, but when he says that we've been given the mind of Christ, we can be transformed by the renewal of our mind, right? I mean, basically what, what modern psychology calls neuroplasticity, where if we work hard enough, we can actually change the way we think. Paul basically was doing like great psychological work 2,000 years ago by saying that, hey, God has given us his own mind by his spirit. And as we learn to think the way he thinks, we're going to be able to think the way he thinks. Right? Gordon MacDonald put it like this. I love this quote. It says, It was Paul who said that as Christ followers, we are given the mind of Christ. And he says, This provides a potential intellectual breadth that those who don't know Jesus don't possess. That doesn't make us better. That's not a value statement. It just means that it off here's what he said. It offers an eternal, timeless perspective in which to think. In Christ, there's a foundation of truth that ought to make our ideas, our analysis of things, and our innovations among the most powerful of the age. So, so let's just think about it, the way all this applies, okay? Because for a lot of us, if I had to guess, maybe you're like me, where you grew up in a, in a church tradition where it's like, hey, 
Like we have like good enough doctrine and theology and that's enough. And the Holy Spirit was just kind of this like thing you talked about every now and then, but it really only applied in the sense that, it, that the Holy Spirit helped illuminate the scriptures so that you can have good doctrine. And that's pretty much the extent of his ministry in your life. But, but, if, but if we're looking at the way Paul's talking about it, or, or that John's writing about it here, if you're looking like later on verse 24, you know, if, if what you've heard abides in you and you and you and the Father, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life, and he says that we have knowledge about all things, th- then, then it's not just the work and the knowledge the Holy Spirit gives us isn't just about doctrine. Like, the Holy, like we don't have the Holy Spirit so we can win like theology debates with our friends every now and then if we ever actually like talk about that stuff. But, but, but we have the Holy Spirit so that we can know how to live this eternal life while on earth. So here, here's how it may play out practically. Um, it doesn't mean, like, did anybody watch the Super Bowl? Okay, anybody football fans? I watched a little bit of it. It was fine. But NFL quarterbacks, they have their helmet on and they have an earpiece inside, right? And the offensive coordinator, the coach, has a microphone and they tell them the play. So you'll see, like, the quarterback stand and cover their ear holes, you know? It's because they're trying to hear the play that they're supposed to run. That is not how the Holy Spirit works, okay? Like, we don't walk around with an earpiece in and it's like, all right, Jesus, I need to run this play. Does God speak to us? Absolutely. Does he lead us and guide us? Absolutely. Right, Jesus said that, that, that he will go back to the Father and he will send the Holy Spirit, who he calls the helper or the counselor. But what the Holy Spirit does is so much broader than, than just give us that kind of like theological vision. The Holy Spirit empowers us to continue the ministry of Jesus while on earth until he comes back. That's why it's called eternal life in its present tense. I forget who said this quote, and I'll try not to mess it up. But it said, earth is not the opposite of heaven. Earth is heaven's delivery room. It's the womb of heaven, where God is preparing us for a life forever with him. See, when Jesus, uh, when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit, he said that he would do three things. Okay, in, in, in the Gospel of John, it says he would send the Holy Spirit, and he would do three things. He would convict the world concerning sin righteousness, and judgment. And when we hear those words, we initially think, okay, good. Like, so, so he'll tell us what's good, and he'll tell us what's bad, and he'll separate the evil from the, the righteous, and that's it. But when he says sin, he goes on to kind of spell those things out. He says sin is actually refusing to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't say that sin is a do thing in that sense. He says sin, the ultimate sin, is, is not confessing who Jesus is at all. And then it goes on to say that righteousness, he convicts us in righteousness because Jesus is the, is the very presence of God on earth and he's the only one who can enter God's presence on his own terms. And judgment because he says, he says he'll convict the world concerning, concerning judgment because judgment uh, has come on the devil who's the liar and distorts God's truth and leads others into darkness and confusion. Okay, so, so just a reminder, uh, John was writing this letter 
to this congregation specifically because there, he says, like, I'm writing to you for those who are deceive you in verse 26. So he's writing specifically because there were people who were claiming this kind of like superior anointing from God. Like, hey, I know the apostles, like, like they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and like Jesus appeared to them and all this stuff. But like we've actually received an anointing and we actually don't think Jesus is that great. You know, and so, so John was encouraging them because they, he was saying, hey, you have your own anointing. You have the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, who came to, to prove to you in, in your life that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's doing what he said he's going to do. He's back in heaven and that you know the truth so you don't have to doubt that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God and the Messiah. And so last week we talked about being God's children that we've been given his DNA of righteousness and holiness. We've been given his very DNA by his Holy Spirit. And so it's our job to live into that truth. So here, here's how this may play out practically a few ways for us, okay? Um, I can remember as a kid almost every morning waking up and walking into the living room, and I would see my dad either reading his Bible and, or the daily, uh, if you've ever heard of that devotional, my utmost for his highest I'd either see him reading that or I would see it on the table beside the, beside the couch. And, and I knew that he had read it because his empty coffee cup was there. Like I grew up in a pastor's home, but like they never forced me to go to church. Like we didn't grow up having like these amazing family. Dev- I don't even remember. I remember doing, trying to do like family devotionals. But as the true middle child, I'd basically just ruin it because I didn't want to sit around and do anything stuffy. Um, so like we never really did that. But I just knew like I grew up in my house. And I just knew, okay, like, this is what we do. At some point it clicked. Like, I remember seeing my mom, like, having devotionals and Bible studies, and she'd have her Bible open on the counter in the bathroom as she was getting ready for work. Like, my older sister has always had a a level of intimacy with Jesus that I will never attain, even when she was, like, in high school. Um, But but I just, I remember her, like, just, it was something she did. She would get up, she'd pray, she'd read her scripture and stuff. And then I had Grandma, Granny Annie, uh, Granny was a, a Pentecostal who tried really hard to fit into a legalistic Baptist church but couldn't really do it. Like the Pentecostal in her never really died out. Um, and I remember her, she'd walk on our treadmill um, and, and she lived with us uh, downstairs and she'd walk on her treadmill and she'd sing old hymns at the top of her lungs and she had on her windowsill a picture of all of her, like however many cousins I have and, and she would pray for them. And she would like put her hands in the air and pray out loud and stuff. Um, I, I will never forget, I went to Fruitland Bible College. And when I told her that I was uh, like leaving my dreams of playing college soccer and beyond and going to Bible college, she said, praise God, it's Fruitland because I thought God told me fruit of the loom. And I thought I was supposed to buy you new underwear. <laughs> I was like, I probably could use some more of those too. But nope, I'm going to Fruitland Bible College. So all that to say, all that to say, how do we live into this life? The Holy Spirit giving us knowledge, leading us. It's just that for me, I was given these great examples of what it looked like to, to, to seek Jesus. You know, I mean, I grew up in a, I was very blessed. I grew up in a pastor's home where we would host missionaries and, and other pastors and, you know, people who, who would come to preach revivals and stuff. And I would just get to sit around the dinner table and listen to how God was working in their lives and stuff like that. And I'm not trying to come across like, holier than there or whatever, but at some point, I, I can remember junior year of high school and, and it coming to a, a moment where I kind of had to choose, okay, am I going to live into this life 
of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And, and, and really, even at that time, kind of new full-time vocational ministry is where I was headed. Or am I going to seek these other things? And I don't think if I had chosen to, to like go the route of like going into the business world or, or whatever would have been a bad thing. Like God isn't, wasn't waiting. He's not like watching me with like a fly swatter to see if I make the wrong decision or something. But in that moment, I just had, for me, I had to decide. And I think that I can remember a time praying and reading that John 17 and knowing that, that, that he was convicting me to live a certain way. It was that knowledge of life with God. Because I love it says that he said, I'll send the world and convict them concerning these things, concerning life with God, concerning these different stuffs. He doesn't say, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to control you concerning these things. See, conviction is a realization that we need to go a different direction. Like maybe we have a moment, we have a thought, a revelation or a feeling like, like something's off and we need to kind of change what we're doing a little bit. Um, it's that moment of, of knowing because we're being convicted in, in the knowledge. We've been given the knowledge of life with Jesus. And so we live into that way. So, so that's kind of on a large scale how it's worked for me. But, but do you know what I think one of the like, greatest distorters of reality for us right now in this age is? It's a filtered life. And man, I hate social media. Because it, it literally, we, like psychologically, we are having a hard time looking at humans in the face because there's no filter on it in real life. Like that's that's a, like a psychological phenomenon that's happening right now. But, here, but here's how it's kind of happened. I haven't been on social media in a long time because I can't handle it. Uh, and a lot of that is because um, it made me often want a different life than the one I had been given. And here's how this would happen. Uh, we like have sent some like memes about it in, in our growth group chat a few times. Um, but it's not like I wouldn't see guys with like huge mansions and boats and like want a ton of money and stuff like that. I would see a guy like going off the grid into the middle of the woods and building a cabin with his bare hands. I'd be like, that makes sense. Like, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm not saying, like, listen, I don't want to say those people are demonic or evil or trying to ruin my life, but, but here's what would happen. There's a myth that, that flies around, whether it's that or whether it's having enough money. The filtered life that we experience through social media so often gets us to buy into the freedom myth, where, where it means, like, for me, I'm watching a guy that gets a few acres of land in the middle of nowhere, and he's just got, like, a dog and a horse and some chickens or something, and he's just got a few tools that he uses to build this tree house. And then it shows like a five-second highlight reel of him just like napping and then eating some fresh eggs and, and like, you know, petting his cow while he sips coffee and getting in his cozy cabin. And I, and I start thinking, and I know it's a joke, all right? I'm trying to be transparent here, folks. But, here, but here's the word. So it, it just gets me thinking like, man, that now that is a life without, without blank. And that must be what real freedom feels like. And I start thinking that that is better than this. And then the reality is like my life is really good. I have a really cushy life. Like if the worst thing that happens is that my kids talk too much, like I've got a really good life. Okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like, I'm not blind to that truth. But all of a sudden I see somebody like posting clips of them running a mini farm and they seemingly have no stress and all their kids are super well behaved and go play by themselves and leave me in my room by myself to do whatever I want. <laughs> it's like I see that 
I see that. And the question is, is wanting something that's better for you, a better career, better for your family, better whatever, no, no, that's not wrong, but when it begins to distort the truth that life now with Jesus that I have versus that life that I see where I haven't thought about Jesus, like, is that better? And the answer is no. Right? Maybe it's not that for you. Maybe it's something else. But the question I would ask is, if we're looking at that kind of introspective question again, where do I find myself straying outside of the knowledge that Jesus and his way of eternal life is better than what the world offers? Maybe it's when you're in a conversation with someone who's not your spouse and you can feel things getting a little flirty. And we have that moment of the freedom myth right, of, man, maybe life would be more free without my spouse or without my family. But then we have that conviction moment of maybe this isn't a good idea and I should walk away right now. And we have to decide, what are we going to do with that knowledge, that knowledge of, of life that's better with Jesus and his ways? Because Jesus has proven himself eternally faithful to us as his bride. Now we get to show that same faithfulness to our spouse. Or if you're single and you find yourself, you're not married, maybe you're dating or maybe you're just hanging out with somebody and you find yourself getting into a situation where you think, man, I should probably walk away right now. And you get to decide in that moment, is being faithful to Jesus the way he's being faithful to you? Or maybe it plays out when you're just watching a movie. You're watching a TV show and you start feeling like, maybe this just isn't good for my mind or my soul to watch this. And you just have that, that decision of continuing in something that may cause you to buy into a worldview or lead you into a sin pattern that pulls you away from that faithfulness that Jesus is guiding you in by his spirit. Or maybe it's in that kind of rare moment, or maybe it feels more rare than it actually is, where someone who has wronged you apologizes, and you're torn between wanting to be gracious and forgive them or pull a power move and withhold that forgiveness, that's actually gonna hurt you worse long term. But then in the back of your mind, you hear forgive as your heavenly father is forgiven. And now you have to decide whether you're gonna bless or whether you're gonna curse. Because look what the Holy, gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us. Verses 23 through 25, it says, it says or pick up in verse 24, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, that good news of Jesus, that while we were still in our sins, Jesus came to live the sinless life, die on the cross sacrificially to pay the penalty for our sins, and then raise from the grave, offering us eternal life now and forever with him. If what you have heard from the beginning, let that abide in you. If it does abide in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. In John 17, Jesus said again, he said, this is eternal life, that you know the one true God and Jesus Christ who he has sent. So last week we talked about if the proof of love is loyalty, this week we're saying that the proof of faith is faithfulness. All right, verse 24, we hear that when we hear the good news of Jesus, when we believe it, when we let it abide in us, when we let it dwell in us, to take root in us, then we will do all of those same things in Jesus and in the Father. So if you're wondering how to do that, how to get past addiction, shame, fear, doubt, okay, these aren't silver bullets or anything. I would suggest if you're dealing with any and all of those things, 
to go see a, a, a great licensed counselor. But I would also say that John gives us some helpful practices here to live out this life of eternity while still on earth with Jesus. Look, look what he says in verse 26. He says, I write these things to you so about those who are trying to deceive you. So if you find yourself de- things deceiving you, giving you that myth of freedom to pull you away from the life that Jesus has given you now, verse, verse 27 he says, but, but the anointing that you've received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. All right, that doesn't mean that, like, we should, like, that doesn't mean Bible teaching, situations like this, small group or anything like that. That clearly throughout the New Testament, it talks about that. That, that just means teach you something different than that truth of Jesus. It says, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Okay, so, so here's the key phrase. It says, just as it taught you, abide in him. And I want us to th- remember John 15 when Jesus said this. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So eternal life, abiding life, following Jesus, all of the ways we express living life here with Jesus when we obey and use his words, when we learn to listen, we learn to live the life that he has for us. Like if you're trying to live this life of following Jesus without knowing his word, it's like using a light bright and not turning on the light. You know, like... You can do all the little plastic pegs and you can do it and like it's fine. But it really comes to life when you turn the light on, right? Like that's when you really get to see the beauty of it. It's the same thing. Like if you're trying to live this life without listening to the Holy Spirit, without letting the Holy Spirit through God's word guide you, like be, meditate in the word, internalize the word, think on it, then you're going to miss out on the brilliance and the beauty of life with Jesus. And you may feel like, Okay, that all sounds good, Matt, but I'm just, like, easy for you to say it's your job to do all this stuff. Like, man, that sounds good, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, a saint. I'm just me. Like, I, I've got, I mean, I can't do that. I'm a full-time parent, and it's, like, hard to even think, much less read Scripture or whatever. Let me, let me just encourage you, because God sent us His Spirit to help us grow in this. I love the C.S. Lewis quote. He said, no possible degree of holiness or heroism which has ever been recorded by the greatest saint is beyond what he is determined to produce in every single one of us in the end. The job will not be completed in this life, but he means to get us as far as possible before death. So here's a, if you're like, man, I, don't, man I, I just don't have a, lot of, a ton of time and energy to devote to memorizing scripture, to, read, to prayer, to meditate, whatever. Uh, anybody ever heard of high-intensity interval training? Okay, so basically, you can, you can do more for your body preparing for endurance. So whether it's running, whether it's cycling, whatever, you can do more for your body by doing a 30-minute HIIT workout two or three days a week than you can doing like a total of seven or eight combined hours of exercise. Okay, so if you're training for a marathon or you're training to do something term, it actually, if you do like two or three times a week, do like 30 minutes of, so in the interval, it's like whatever, one minute of going as hard as you can, and then 30 seconds going as easy as you can. And just do that for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It will do more for your body physiologically, for your mitochondrial density, all that kind of stuff, than going out and just like, like trudging out eight miles a few days a week. 
It's the same thing with our, with our life following Jesus. If you're like, man, I don't have all the time, I don't have the energy, the resources. What do you have? And go as hard as you can in that time as possible. If you're like, man, I've only got 15 minutes before my kids wake up, or I've only got you know, a 30-minute break at lunch for my job, whatever. Hey, you've got that time. Go as hard as you can in that time. And trust that the Holy Spirit is working inside of you and making those things happen. So that's the, first, the second thing, I, verse 28 and 29. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So here's the second. I, I love that it starts out with that one with little children. Because that sounds like more do stuff, right? Like practicing righteousness sounds like more do stuff. And it's important for us to play our part. But I love that he starts with, now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, you may have confidence and not shrink back at shame from his coming. When I was growing up uh, in, in South Georgia, elementary school I went to, um, was kind of in a, in a rough part of town. And uh, there was a, a sheriff's deputy at our elementary school that was stationed there full time. And this man, in my like memory from when I was like a seven-year-old kid, is terrifying. Like, he looked like he looked like what would be like a caricature cartoon character of a drill sergeant, but a real life human at my elementary school. Okay, so so that was what this guy looked like. Like um, I remember one time a friend and I we were just being normal kids, just kind of joking around, playing in the lunch line. He thought that we were throwing punches, which, as I said last week, I am not a fighter. That would not have happened in the lunch line, because lunch is for eating, not for fighting. And he pulled us to the side, and I remember him leaning down and talking. I don't remember a word he said. I just remember wanting to cry because the guy was so scary. Like red beard. He always wore big aviators. He had like a military hat on, like full deputy uniform. And, and one day I, I was, had a project with some, school, with some friends after school, and we were staying, and we were working on this project. And I see the guy standing outside, and he just kind of had that presence, you know, just like a scary, intimidating, tough presence. But I remember that one of the like, buses from another school came and dropped off his daughter. It's like this little girl dropped off his daughter, and the way that he lit up when he ran to her, I thought, okay, like, like there's something different in the way he's approaching her than how he's approaching me. Like there was a smile on his face, he picked her up, there was not an ounce of fear on her face when she ran to her dad. Because she was his daughter and he loved her. Right? Like if you see some of those phrases like, hey, little children. Think back to that DNA test. Like, man, you've, like, the results have come back and God has given you his very spirit living in you. You are his child. Abide in him so that when he appears, you have confidence and you don't shrink back at his coming. See, the number one way John here said to claim our identity is to live into who he made us to be, to practice that righteousness, to practice it. It says to, pra- it's, 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 to practice, it's that same word, uh, tereo in, in the Greek, where it's, it's to, to, to carefully attend to righteousness. Because here's what happens. When we've been given God's Holy Spirit, when we're abiding in his word, when he's given us a life to live into, and then we return that with obedience, What happens is when our obedience align with his promises, his righteousness shines in our lives. 
when our obedience align with his promises, his righteousness shines in our lives. So, so today we're going to end with just a few minutes of, of, of prayer, and we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you, what are you calling me to today? Like, like maybe it's as I was listing out those things that are deceptive and trying to get us that, to bind that myth of freedom, separate from the life that God's given us to live. And maybe, maybe you felt that conviction and it's time to make a decision and change that. Maybe, maybe today's the time where, where following Jesus has not been something that you've done or belief in him, but as you're hearing these words, as, as you've heard the good news of Jesus, you think, man, today's the day I need to follow Jesus. I've heard the good news of Jesus that he saved me and promised me a life of eternal life with him, and I want, I want that. I want to live in that. Or maybe today you're sitting there and you're like, I feel like there's something, but I don't know what it is. Man, the Holy Spirit wants to, wants to show you the will of God. So, so what we're going to do, we're just going to take another minute or two of silent prayer. We've said a lot of words so far today. We're just going to ask the question, Holy Spirit, what are you telling me today? And then I'll pray for us and we'll stand up and, and close today in worship. So let's just take a minute asking that question, Holy Spirit, what are you telling us today? Father, your word says in Psalm 85 that righteousness will go before you and make a way for your footsteps. So, Father, as, as we uh, have taken time to listen to you, Holy Spirit, as you've been bringing stuff to our minds of what it looks like to practice righteousness, to, to follow the way of eternal life that you've given us. God, as your word in 1 John told us that that if we abide in you, that we, then your word abides in us and, and the knowledge that you've given us lives in our hearts that we will live in you. And so God, as, as we as a people devote ourselves to practicing righteousness, to obey you and live into the things that you've promised us, God, let your righteousness come in our lives and prepare your footsteps into our lives. Because Father, we are your children. And you've sent your son Jesus to die for our sins so that we can be freed from shame, from addiction, from brokenness. And, and your son, he rose from the dead 
so that we can experience new life and we can be new creation here on earth and we can live with you forever in eternity in your presence and where we don't shrink back but like, like a parent coming home from work and the little kids get excited when you come back to finally, fully, completely restore all things that we can be excited as we live in the life you've given us. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.